Well, we're going to try, we're going to move on and we're going to try um, something else um, slightly impossible this morning, um, which is I'm going to talk you through Revelation 4 to 7 um, without taking too long. Um, now, the way I've done this this morning is I've, I've put it up on the PowerPoint, but I've not written myself any notes, partly because if I wrote some notes, I thought I'm going to be doing this for a very long time. Uh, and also I know that if I speak to notes, I speak longer and if I speak to the PowerPoint, I speak shorter. I think you'd all be grateful for me to speak a little bit shorter. Um, so we, we're going to try that today. Um, and in the middle of it, I'm, I'm going to ask um, Sarah to do, to do a reading. So we're not going to read it all, um, but we will read chapter six. Um, and the reason for doing this um, is because it speaks about plague. The middle of, of um, Revelation 6, it speaks about something like um, what we're going through now. Um, and so I felt like we can't, um, can't think about how to respond um, to, to what's going on uh, unless we get a grip on some of these passages at, at least, um, which speak about these kind of things. Um, and I suppose the question in my mind is, um, what is the Lord saying? What is the Lord saying to us um, in the midst of this, if anything? Um, and is it going to be the same thing that he's is he saying one thing? And is he saying the same thing to everybody? Um, or is he saying different things to different people? Um, so let me set this up. And well, let's get started. Okay. Uh, here we go. So, what is God saying, and how should we respond? Let me get past that. Are there things um, in this time? Are there things um, through this pandemic that, that we need to be that we need to be hearing uh, and responding to? Um, are they the same for everyone? I'm not sure that they are. But we turn um, for one week only um, to the book of Revelation. And this is by way of an introduction, actually, what I want us to think about. I want us to think about the subject of, of repentance. Uh, and repentance is, is about stopping and thinking and thinking about, am I really going God's way? Or, or there are there other things that I need to change or take more seriously in my life. So from next week, we're going to look in the book of Malachi. Um, so I invite you, it's the very last book in the Old Testament, um, so it should be easy to find, it's just before uh, Matthew. It's not very long, it's four chapters. It's a fairly easy read. So can I um, encourage you to give it a read through um, before next week, um, uh, to read through the book, the book of Malachi. And we're going to look at Malachi. I'm also going to draw in some stuff written by a guy called Thomas Brooks. Um, he was uh, a preacher, um, a pastor at the time of the Great Plague, um, 1666. Um, and he had some interesting things um, to say about uh, repentance um, and to say about how we respond to these kind of things and also about how we test our own hearts. So as we go forward next week, we'll look at Malachi look a bit at um, some of these things that Thomas, Thomas Brooks uh, wrote uh, in, a, in, the, in the midst of the Great Plague um, in 1666. But for this week, we turn to 
book of Revelation. Um, in the early chapters, we discover that Revelation is a letter. It's a letter written to seven churches. Um, and if you want to know what Revelation is about, start with chapters two, two and three. Um, John writes um, to seven churches about the typical kind of mistakes that churches make. Well, he writes to seven specific churches about the mistakes they are absolutely making. Um, but they're typical of the kind of things, uh, mistakes that we make. But it's also a revelation. And by a revelation, we mean it shows us God's actions behind the scenes. And it's also a prophecy. In other words, um, a revelation tells us about God's future plans. And what this does, I think, is it helps us locate ourselves. Um, where are we in God's plans? Where are we in what God is doing um, and what God is planning to do? And I think to understand Revelation, I see it in these two ways. I see it as a book of scenes. And by that I mean um, Revelation repeatedly goes through um, the same, um, same time frame. It repeatedly uh, uh, covers this period from, um, from uh, when Jesus uh, uh, is ascended um, to the time when Jesus returns uh, and everything is made new. And I think the thing that convinces me of that ultimately is because if you read through the book you repeatedly come across um, passages that sound like the end of time and I think the most obvious way to take it is to say well actually this book uh, Revelation um, is, is going through the same period um, seven times um, from different points of view. So I think chapter seven is one scene which covers the rest of history it goes from now goes from the actually from the ascension of jesus um, to the rest of history so it's a book of scenes i think it's a book of symbols um, revelation uses old testament pictures for new testament realities and it uses a lot of symbolic numbers um, as we do ourselves sometimes um, so we talk about the four corners of the earth uh, uh, revelation talks about the four corners of the earth three is for god i think that's true um, certainly he's the holy, holy, holy. He's the one who is three times holy. He's the one who was and is um, and, and is to come. I think most often four uh, is the number of, of creation. As we just said, four corners of, of the earth. Um, and that all kind of, um, I, I think, affect how we view the four living creatures in a minute. Um, seven is the number for completeness or, or perfection. Um, so when John writes the seven churches, I think there is a meaning in this that these are seven real churches with seven real problems. But this is a letter to the whole church, the entire church. Um, ten is a is a number I think of a, of kind of totality, um, but also a, a number of magnitude. So if we want to talk about lots of things, we would talk about hundreds of things. And we said there were hundreds of them, there were thousands of them, there were millions of them. We'd always talk about it in powers of ten. I think Revelation does the same. Um, 12 is the number uh, for the people of God. 12 always has been the number of the people of God. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Um, there were 12 apostles um, in, the New uh, in the New Testament. Um, so when I think those things affect how we read Revelation. So when we read about 12 of something or 144 of something, then it's 12 times 12. And I think we know it's talking... Uh, or about the people of God. 
Another thing that happens in Revelation is, is just to help understand is sometimes John hears a, a, about one thing and he sees something else. Um, and I think there are a number of occasions where the thing that he hears about and the thing that he sees um, are the same thing um, from different perspectives. And I think, though you'd have to read this for yourself, I, th I think that um, what he hears is God's final word on the subject and what he sees um, it are things seen from a human perspective. I don't think that, I don't think you can apply that all the way through, but I think there are occasions when that, when that works uh, in Revelation. So were you to read chapter four, we read a little bit of it early on, we would find that there are 24 elders and, and four living creatures um, uh, standing round the throne of God. Um, and day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, these are either representations of the people of God, 24 elders, Old Testament and New Testament people of God, or they're representatives for, angelic representatives for um, the people of God. I think it's hard to tie that one down. Um, uh, the Apostle uh, uh, Paul says that we're seated in the heavenly realms in Christ. It could be this is a picture of us in the heavenly realms praising God. Or it could be that there are 24 uh, angelic beings who, who kind of represent the people of God before the throne and kind of present their praises um, before the Lord. And the same for the four living creatures. I, I think it's hard to argue that they're representations of creation bringing their praise, but it might be. Um, but otherwise, then they're four great angelic beings who in a sense are bringing the praise of the rest of creation uh, before this great God on the throne. And they bring their praise to God for his holiness, simply because he is holy, 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 holy. They bring praise to God for his eternity. He's the God who was and who is and who is to come. He is a God uh, without beginning, without end. He's not like us. They bring praise to God uh, for his creating power. You're worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created. God is the one. You look out the window right now um, and, and see what's there um, and have a think. By God's will, um, it was created. It only exists because this God decided um, that it should exist. So here's a reassurance for you, because at our earthly level, we might look around and we might say, hang on, we're a tiny minority who are gathered here this morning who are, who are bothered about praising God. But actually in the throne room of God, in God's presence, he is being uh, mightily praised um, all the time. And every time that you, um, that you come to God in praise, you're not a, a single soul being coming to praise God. You're joining in. Uh, with the praise of God that is going on eternally um, in heaven all, all the time. Briefly into chapter 5. Um, gosh, we're going to run out of time. Let me be really quick. Um, I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne, um, a scroll. So John sees a scroll next to God on the throne, and nobody is worthy to, to break the seals and, um, and, and open the scroll. And he says, I wept because there wasn't, uh, no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. And then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, 
uh, he's able to open the scroll and the seven seals. So John hears that there is a lion, there is a, a triumphant one who is able to open the scroll and the seals. But what he sees when he looks is he sees a lamb looking as if it's been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he'd taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, and they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. So there's a scroll that needs to be opened, which can't be opened because there's nobody worthy. And there's only this lion um, who is equally a lamb who was slain who can, who can open it. And that is, of course, Jesus. It is the risen Jesus. And he can open it. How can he open it? Well, what is this scroll? It, it is a scroll of um, the rest of history um, being um, unrolled, as it were. Um, and who can unroll uh, the rest of history and bring about both the judgments of God and bring about um, the, the saving work of God? Who is worthy to do this judging and saving? Only Christ. Only Christ, because of his purchasing blood, because you purchased the God by your blood, people. So only Jesus. Only Jesus is worthy to open this scroll because he is, he is God and because he is um, the sacrifice. So be reassured from Revelation chapter 5 um, that Jesus is in charge of history. You're Jesus. The Jesus you come and meet um, day by day in charge of history not just salvation history people being rescued he's in charge of what we might think of as secular history all of it is unrolled unopened by the slain lamb who is the lion of judah who is worthy and then to revelation 6 and here i'm going to ask sarah um, to to read for us and we're going to read revelation 6 Kenny's going to start. Okay, good man. The seals. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one, with its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill one another, each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. 
Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given the power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. The great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Mm, thank you. So four horsemen, I want to get into briefly these four horsemen. You notice that they're called by the living creatures, um, which is one of the reasons I think that the first one of them isn't Jesus. Some people think it sounds like Jesus later on, but I think it isn't because it seems inappropriate that he'd be called by the living creatures. Um, the white one, it just says it's a conquer event on conquest. Uh, the red one brings killing instead of peace. The black one brings, I think, what's famine, um, but maybe also famine and inequality. Don't damage the oil and the wine. It's a little bit like saying there'll be famine for most people, but oil and wine for the rich. I think that's, we see that all around us all the time, don't we? Uh, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Yeah. Um, the fourth horseman, and then finally a, a pale horse, um, death with Hades following um, uh, death by sword and famine, um, plague, note, um, and, and wild beasts. And I think plague would include um, what we're going through now. And I think what these four horsemen um, represent actually is, is death in all its forms. I think it's pretty much a, a comprehensive list uh, of, of death. And I think actually this is the situation um, described by Jesus in, in Matthew 24. So I think what happens in this scene is that in chapter 4, we, we get a, a beginning picture of the throne room of heaven. In chapter 5, uh, we see the risen Jesus. So that is therefore after the ascension. 
um, I think in I think the first part in these four horsemen we get a situation of what is happening now. I think there is death in all its forms uh, around us on the earth. Um, so back in chapter 24, and you can, there's an interesting parallel between um, Matthew 24 and the sequence of events. And you can parallel between Matthew 24 and the sequence of events um, going through um, Revelation 6. Um, Jesus was asked, um, when will this happen? Uh, which is a question, when would the temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So he was specifically asked that. And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumour of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginnings of the birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Um, so I think this is the situation now. I think this is the wars um, and the rumour of wars. And we have to take that as something that is both commonplace and is the beginning of the birth pains. So we have to say of that, it is a commonplace, it happens now, but also it is the beginning of something else. It is ultimately, ever since Jesus came, is the beginning of the end. Um, the possibility of Jesus returning. So I think this is actually a picture of what's happening now. I say be reassured, but maybe it doesn't seem reassuring. But I think these four horsemen are death in all its forms. And we see them riding out now. And particularly around us now, we see that fourth horseman riding around and bringing death by plague. But there are still wars um, and other things going on. But tracking back, who is it who is, um, they, they, each of these horses appear as the seals are open. Who is it who is worthy to open the seals? It is Jesus, it is Christ, he is in charge. Be reassured that whatever we see around us now, it might, in the past it has been, uh, We've seen war. Recent years, we've seen earthquakes. Um, we have seen famine. And now we have seen plague. I think this is essentially death in all its forms. It's part of the curse that God has allowed on creation. But here we see really clearly, be reassured, Jesus is still in control of history. So in those first few verses, four horsemen. And then we go on to see um, some martyrs under the, under the altar. Um, when Jesus opens the, the fifth seal, the souls of those being slain because of the word of God. And the souls of the martyrs under the altar um, are calling out, um, how long? Now, maybe these are the, literally the martyrs. Uh, maybe they're kind of... Um, echoing the call of all Christians, maybe in a sense it's, it's the call of all Christians because um, we are all people who should be putting to death the, the old self. Uh, but either way, uh, these martyrs, they call out, how long? So I think that's reassuring, isn't it? Because we, I, I, 
I'd be surprised if you haven't said that in your mind somewhere in the last few weeks. You look at um, you look at the pandemic around us and say, "How long? Goodness me, how long, Lord, before I can go and see my relatives? How long, Lord, before we can come and, and be church again?" Um, they're the small how long questions, uh, but there is a bigger how long question. How long, uh, God, will you, will you allow these kind of things to happen in your, in your creation? How long will it be before you come again? Um, call it all to an end and make everything new. And what's the answer that they get? They're waiting to be um, vindicated because they, they, they've been killed for their faith. And we're waiting, aren't we, to be vindicated, to be shown that we were right. Our trust in God was the right thing. The altar, I think the fact that they're under the altar uh, is because the altar is, the, is kind of God's throne. Um, the altar kind of points to the sacrifice that they've made. They're given white robes. Um, it's a declaration of their purity, their justification. What's the answer to the how long question? A little longer. A little longer. And what's a little longer? Well, it's until the full number of their fellow servants has been gathered in. God has an absolute plan for the full number of people he plans to save. He has a number in mind. He knows who they are. He knows their names, actually. He has a list. We don't know how long that will go on in, in history, how, how short that will be. But re, be, re, be reassured. God is not... Uh, waiting because he's bored he's not with we're not waiting because he's turned away he is waiting because there are more people that he wants to save and be reassured that vindication for being a christian is coming and then in a very scary passage um when the the sixth seal is opened it's a great earthquake the sun goes black the moon turns red the scars the stars drop out of the sky. That's it. it's, uh, it's, uh, I'm really struck by that image. The stars fall to earth like fig tree, figs drop from a fig tree when it's shaken. Heavens receded and the mountains removed from their place. And these are difficult pictures to understand because at one moment the mountains are removed and the next moment um, th these people flee to the mountains. So the picture language, I think, you know, kind of breaks down, but, but creation is going to be undone. Creation is going to be unmade. And on that day, what is going to happen? But the powerful uh, will, will, call, uh, will call out um, to the mountains, the rocks, fall on us. It's pretty drastic, isn't it? Fall on us and hide us um, from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. There are days coming uh, when those who haven't trusted Christ those who've trusted Christ have shown a degree of humility um, by bowing the knee to, to Christ. And hopefully they are, uh, they are the meek who will inherit the earth. But what happens to the powerful, um, the generals, the princes, the rich and the mighty and everyone else who haven't trusted Christ will say to rocks around us, fall on us because we cannot stand uh, to see this coming wrath um, of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. 
for the great day of their wrath, the wrath of God on the throne and the Lamb has come and who can stand? There will come a day when all those arrogant people will cower in absolute terror when they stand before the wrath of the Lamb. So you can be reassured. Um, wrath is coming. And those who are arrogant will get their commandments. And after that will be heaven on earth. Uh, just have to be really brief about this. Um, think what happens in chapter 7 with the 144,000. Going back to our numbers, I think that's 12 times 12 times 10 times 10 times 10. Um, so uh, although that's a fixed number, I think, um, I think that's a picture of, of God's people who have been sealed um, ahead of time. And, and sealing in the Bible means a number of things. Um, Paul says uh, in Ephesians uh, that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Um, like a deposit. I think that's what uh, John is seeing here. Um, they're not separate groups of people, to my mind, the 144,000 uh, and the multitude. I think this is another occasion where John hears, you notice, um, that there are 144,000 who've been sealed ahead of time. And then he looks and he sees a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. I think they're the same people. Um, they're the people as God sees them. God sees them as individuals. And God sees them uh, numbered. He knows who each of them are. Um, I don't think this is literally from tribes of Israel because there's one of them missing. Um, I think that's the people of God from God's point of view. From John's point of view, they're a great multitude that no one can count from every tribe and nation. Standing before the throne, they were wearing white robes. They're the justified people. They're holding palm branches in their hands and they're crying out in a loud voice, salvation uh, belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. We start to get this picture of the new creation being brought in. Um, people of God standing um, before the throne. And notice this is why I think this is a, a picture of coming to the end of time, because it, it's very reminiscent of these next few verses at the end of chapter 7 um, to uh, Revelation 21 and 22. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. Some will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. It won't, get, it won't be too hot. It won't be too cold. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So be assured, one day it will be over and it will be fantastic. It will be amazing. It will be 
that glorious. We will get to stand before the throne of the Lord and, and of the Lamb. And he will be our shepherd. He will lead us to springs of living water and he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. So there's a question, does this go through your mind? It goes through my mind. Does, does, a, does a global pandemic mean um, that we are at the end of time? Is this a sign that, that time is at the end? Well, we can say, we can, one thing we can't say is that it categorically isn't. We can't categorically say this is not God's warning before he brings the end. I don't think we can categorically say that. There are different views about Revelation. Um, and, um, but I don't think we can categorically say that this isn't a warning that God brings before he brings everything to an end. That should just make us sit up, shouldn't it, and um, take notice. Equally, we can't categorically say that it is the end. And this is the tension of, of living as a Christian. I think this is true all the time of the signs that we see around us. And so we live with this tension. We can't say that this category isn't a sign of the end, in which case we have to be ready. We have to be, um, do we not have to be taking our, our faith seriously and, and, and being ready? What if this is God's way uh, of saying, um, look, for all your technology, for all your cleverness, you are not in control. So we have to be ready. Particularly, what if it isn't? Well, then we have to be ready and persistent. We have to be persistently and consistently and, what's the word, perseveringly ready for the end. So what does, what does it mean? Well, in the next few weeks, I want us to think about uh, Malachi. Um, one of the commentaries I've got on Malachi is called Losing Touch with the Living God. Losing Touch with the Living God. I think that's quite a good title. Have we kind of lost touch with the Living God? Have, have we not taken him adequately seriously? And I think that's one of the questions we're going to need to ask ourselves um, in the coming weeks. And so... Bible talks about throwing off the sin that, that so easily entangles. Have we just kind of, you know, really not taken sin seriously? Well, maybe now's the time, isn't it, to do something about it? And we will talk about how do you identify sin when so often we're blind to our own shortcomings. We'll talk about that, but not in detail today. Love the Lord your God with, with, with all your heart. Is, is, you, is your first love? Is, is you, um, your, your passion still there? If we went back into um, Revelation 2 and 3, the churches were, uh, Jesus, the word for them was that they had all the, they'd lost their zeal, that they were uh, fearful, that they were compromising their values, um, that they weren't doing church discipline. Um, that they would, had a reputation for living, but there was a kind of deadness underneath. What is this calling you to do? 
Well, it's fascinating, isn't it, that the, the Lord brings um, a, a pandemic on, on the earth. I think at, the, at, a, at a point where globalization um, is kind of, is a real thing, the world becomes more globalized, in other words, um, uh, all, all countries interconnected. Um, and what happens in our strange world is that certain individuals and in certain cities uh, are, are more powerful than, than, than certain countries. Um, in a period where we've consumed too much um, and we've caused the whole world, world to, to warm, is it a message from God or is it the grace of God to say, well, I'm going to lock you down. You stop using those cars for a bit. What is God saying? So maybe there are some global messages in it, but maybe there are also some personal messages. Maybe there's some messages for us to a church, um, and we will try and identify those in the coming weeks um, as we look through the book of Malachi. But I would kind of like ask you this week then to read Malachi, to think about, is the Lord saying to me I need to take my faith more seriously than I have? Um, the last thing important here was tell me about you, but maybe that's a bit maybe that's a bit bold. What is the Lord saying to you? Maybe now is not the moment to say it unless you've got something you really want to say. Um, in which case you need to kind of you need to kind of wave at me. But maybe this is something you need to think about. Maybe you'd like to, you know, stick that on a message to me. And we can get a feel what is what is the Lord saying to us as a church? I think at the very least the Lord is saying, you need to take your faith a little bit more seriously. Um, than you have to date. But let me pray and then we'll turn up your turn to pray. Father God, in my heart I feel a call to repentance. A call to say I'm sorry for not taking you as, as seriously as I might have done. And Lord, maybe you're asking us to think about how we've treated this world that we've made, that you've made rather, and, and how we've uh, abused it. I'll ask you, Father God, to, to be specific. Vague repentance just won't do, and it doesn't do any good. We ask you, Lord, if there are things for which we need as a church or personally, uh, to change or repent on. We ask you to be really clear, speak through your word, lay them on it, lay things on our heart by your spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.